Well, good morning, everyone, again. Um, glad you're here this morning. Glad I'm here this morning. Um, in light of recent events, hurricanes, floods, storms going on in our lives, I thought it best to share a study this morning, a topical study called Hope Through the Storm. And so if you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 41. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Mark 4, verse 35 through 41 this morning. All right, I don't see any more pages, hear any more pages turning, so you must be there. Okay, I heard another page turn. <laughs> Someone did that on purpose, didn't you? You went, all right. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35, we read, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this morning and to be able to be into your word, the, your word that speaks life into our lives, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you for this time, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to listen this morning, what you had to say to each one of us through your word. We thank you for this time. We pray, Lord, your blessing upon our children downstairs, the youth and the kids as they learn from your word as well. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray, Lord, also if there's anyone that has joined us, that is yet to come into a saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, to have their sin forgiven, to be born again. Lord, would you especially touch their heart this morning. So thank you for this time. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to begin by thanking you all for all your prayers. This was not the vacation I anticipated, but it was the one that God had planned for us. For those of you that don't know, my wife's parents, my in-laws, took us on a cruise into the Caribbean during hurricane season. <laughs> what they were thinking, well, you know, you know, we got there and they said, even the, 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 the hotels and the places we stayed at, they said, you know, you're really not supposed to take uh, cruises during the months that end in ER. September, October, November, December, or end you up in the ER, I don't know, but but thankfully, the Lord protected us while we were on the cruise. We were about 500 miles away in Aruba and Kersey and, and Bonaire, which was 20 miles off the coast of Venezuela, when Hurricane Irma hit uh, St. Martin and St. Thomas and, and Puerto Rico. We got back on Saturday the 9th, uh, our wedding anniversary, you know, only to get to the airport and find out that our plane was canceled, 6 o'clock in the morning, and that we'll not get another plane until... September 15th, Friday morning. What do you do? You know, and so, uh, I, I mean, I understand that the hurricane destroyed most of St. Martin, St. Thomas, parts of Puerto Rico. 
The hotel that we ended up staying at actually became a distribution point uh, for clothing and necessities for the people that were being uh, cargoed in from the cargo planes off of St. Martin. You don't hear much about that. I've heard more about St. Thomas and, and, and other places, but St. Martin really got devastated. And they were bringing in tourists that, that had their time, their, their condos reserved. They, they had to leave all their, their luggage behind. The United States government loaded them on cargo planes and were bringing them to the hotel that we were staying at there in Puerto Rico. And uh, just some of the stories that we heard from these people, how, you know, just the, the 200 mile per hour winds, you know, the, the one couple we talked to, they were in one room of the house and, the, and the, the, the ceiling, the roof blew off of that room. So they went to another room of the house. The, the ceiling blew off of that, that room. So then they went down to the storm shelter. I thought, why didn't you go down to the storm shelter in the first place? But, I mean, really nothing was left uh, of the whole roof of the, to their entire complex of that. And, and uh, I know the amazing thing to me was, you know, from, from our perspective as Christians, you go, praise God, you, you saved my life. I mean, I could have been blown out. I could have been, been dead, but you saved me. And I'm talking to these people, and, and, and there was no thankfulness to the Lord. And, and you're trying to share with them, and well, do, do you see what God has done? How God should, Yeah, 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 I'm thankful God saved my life. But, you know, we're going to rebuild, and we, we got our money, and this is our second home, or this is that. And I'm thinking, wow, God, you just don't get it. And I really think that that was really a big wake-up call for a lot of the people out there um, that I tell you, because if I went through one of those things, I mean, I tell you, I'd be saying, man, look what God has done. Look how he, he saved us. I found this article just this morning because I wanted to give you some idea of, of what happened there because we're not really seeing the Caribbean Isles on TV. We see, you know, Houston, which is devastating parts of Florida. But, but uh, uh, according to NPR, they wrote this, Irma shredded homes and hotels in the into the bare materials that made them, its wind scattering floorboards and roofs and light poles like so many matchsticks. Within a day, the storm had rendered the island so unrecognizable, satellites could register the stark change from space, where once the Virgin Islands, both U.S. and British, gleamed green in their lush vegetation, that vista is bur- buried brown beneath uprooted trees and the debris of broken buildings. Take a look at the satellite picture. You can't really tell, but... but up there in the top, it's all the green lush, and on the bottom, it's just, you can tell, just the brownness, the broken branches that happened there. NPR went on to say, while there were some homes that survived, some lost roofs, or homes that totally obliterated down to the foundation, uh, they say all you can see is rubble. They, get, they had a few more pictures posted on their website. This is one from a hotel room, and then this one is just showing the destruction outside and, and the streets, and, and the next one... I mean, some of these places we had walked to, the, you know, the week before where there was the little stores and the uh, souvenir shops and, and they're just gone. It's just destroyed. And that's outside as well. Just crazy to see what's going on there. And, and uh, uh, you know, it's going to be years before Houston and, and parts of Florida and these Caribbean islands will recover from these storms. And you can see just the devastation it leaves behind. And we definitely need to be praying for these people and look for ways to help. Had the opportunity to actually go to Calvary Chapel, Puerto Rico. Since we were there, it's Saturday, so we're going to be here for the week. Hey, let's go to Calvary Chapel, Puerto Rico. And I tell you, it was like, it's like being home. You know, you get into a church and, and they had tables set up for people for food and stuff like that because there was no power only the tourists had power 
you know, the hotels where the tourism was, was power. The rest of Puerto Rico was not power. But this church, they had generators going. They had food supplied for the people. They had ways where you can text to give money to help the people in St. Martin. I mean, they were prepared. And we got in and we sat down and just started to worship the Lord. It's like, oh, just this, this peace that over, overflows you that just goes, oh, this is great. And they just, you know, I think every song that they did in worship was about the ocean and storms and all of that stuff. But, but uh, man, it, it sure did fit. I mean, it was like, wow. And because, you know, for those of you who haven't gone in the Caribbean, it, it really is, it's a worldly place. I mean, it's all about rum and, and partying and, 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 and that. And, and so just to, to be where other believers were, it was just a, a peace to the storm. And so it got me thinking. Since we haven't started a new book yet, I thought, you know, we're in, in, in between books, you know, and since I started studying yesterday morning, um, thinking, <laughs> you know, we need to do a study on storms and about the storms we all face in life. Because when it comes to storms, there's no way to diminish the pain and the suffering that a, hurt, a hurting person feels going through a storm. See, because from my perspective, the, the worst storm is the storm that I'm in right now. You know, the worst storm is that the storm that you're in at the moment. You know, and, and there are different types of storms that we run to in life. We, we experience a life. A storm can, can be a physical storm where your property is damaged beyond repair. It's destroyed. But it can also be a, a di- business deal with friends that has gone bad. A storm can be finding your teenage son getting into drugs. A storm can be your boss saying, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to let you go. A storm can be being diagnosed with a terminal illness. A storm can be your husband or your wife committing adultery. A storm can be rumors and lies that someone is spreading about you. We live in a, in a world that's filled with hard times, with all kinds of storms. There's not one person that is exempt from the storms of life. Storms, you know, come and engulf the lives of Christians and non-Christians alike. Yet God has His purposes in storms of life. And maybe you're in a storm right now and you've cried out for it to stop, but it hasn't. In fact, maybe it's gotten worse. And you're wondering, why is God allowing this? Listen, there's no easy answers to that question, but know this. Where there are no trials in life, there will be no triumphs. It's been said that the hammer that shatters glass also forges steel. And often the hardships of life, great through the hardships of life, great things will come. Great things can be accomplished. I found that very true in my own life personally, and we will see it in this account of these disciples caught in a storm that great blessings are going to come from. You say, blessings? I mean, how can blessings come from, from being in a storm? Well, see, they're going to see God's power, and they're going to come to understand this person like never before, and, and know God's grace because they passed through the storm. Now, I think we're all familiar with this passage today because I've taught it many times, but I think we all need to be reminded of these things when storms come. And if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things this morning in our study. Number one, when storms come, they can be intense. Number two, when storms come, we can be at rest. And number three, when storms come, we need to do our best. Number one, when storms come, they can be intense. Look at verses 35 through 37 again. We read, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now we know according to Matthew's gospel, that Jesus earlier, he had cleansed a leper, a man who had leprosy, he had healed the centurion's servant from a distance. 
He had touched Peter's mother-in-law who had a, a fever and, and they had spent pretty much the whole evening healing those who were oppressed uh, with the devil and casting out demons, healing those who were diseased. And great crowds began to follow around Jesus. And at this point, opposition has still not happened against him. And so what we have is many would-be followers coming alongside, seeing what they can get from Jesus. They wanted to be his disciple, but the problem was they, they had seen his power, but they had not counted the cost. And they really didn't see that following Jesus means completely surrendering your heart and your life to him, not for what you can get from him. And at this point, they've been getting a lot from Jesus. So Jesus and his disciples, they've been ministering all day long. And so Matthew's gospel, we're told that Jesus saw this great multitude, this great crowd, beginning to gather around him, and he says, listen, we need to get away. So he grabs his disciples, and, and look at verse 35. It says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, the other side here is a reference to the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee was about eight miles across, 13 miles long from north to south. So it was a large, fresh water lake. And so Jesus says, hey, guys, let's get in the boat, and let's cruise across to the other side. Suddenly, verse 7, 37 rather, a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, Matthew's gospel, he uses the phrase a great tempest. That word tempest in Greek is a seismos, where we get our English word seismic from, an earthquake. So you might say it was like an, an underwater earthquake and our boats are now filling with water. This is an intense storm. Now, our first reaction might be, oh, this, this storm is so intense, I must have done something wrong to, to deserve to be in this, this storm. I, I must be in sin. But remember back in verse 35, we read, on the same day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, let us cross over to the other side. The disciples here are actually in the storm because they obeyed Jesus, not because they disobeyed him. So many people have the idea that, that storms come into their lives only when they have disobeyed God. But that's not always the case. Yes, sometimes it is because of disobedience. Because the Bible does say we do reap what we sow. And storms do come into our lives for God to get our attention. To show us that we've been disobedient and God is trying to wake us up. And the Lord will allow trial after trial after trial to come into your life until you deal with that one area of sin in your life. Thus was the case with Jonah. Recall his story. Remember, he ended up in the belly of a well in his storm because he disobeyed God and would not go to Nineveh. But then there are times when you're walking in obedience with the Lord. You're praying, you're reading God's word, and the storms hit. And this is what's happening here. The disciples were walking in perfect obedience to the Lord and the storm hit. And we also know there are storms that come into our lives because the enemy, the devil, seeks to destroy you. He seeks to destroy me, us. Now the Bible says the the devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so he wants to come in and destroy us. And, And I think of the book of Job. Remember when Satan wanted to attack the man, Job, and he was unable to because God had put this hedge of protection around him. And God was bragging about Job to Satan and and Satan says, yeah, but you put this hedge of protection around him. Let me afflict him. And then he's going to curse you to his face. And Satan can only do what God allowed him to do. We also know the Apostle Paul. He was uh, in many storms, but one he called a thorn in his flesh. A messenger from Satan to buffet him. 
My point is that, that some storms in our life can be satanic in its origin. I personally believe that this storm was demonic in nature because right after Jesus rebukes the storm here, we know over in Matthew chapter 8 that when he had reached the other side, he was confronted by two demon-possessed men that were coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce. And if you recall the story there that Jesus cast out these demons as they begged him, you know, to be cast into this herd of swine and Jesus did that and then the swine, you know, proceeded to run off the cliff and into the sea and they died. The first case of deviled ham in the Bible. <laughs> Had to throw that one in there, you know. My point being is this, that this storm could very easily have been caused by the devil. I mean, the demons knew Jesus was heading their way and no doubt wanted to stop him. And so it sounds like this storm is satanic in nature. But again, back to the story in Job, when God allowed Satan to attack Job, to attack his family, but not kill Job. God had his, his controls on it. If you recall in Job 1.19, God allowed Satan to destroy Job's children. How did he do it? Listen to Job 1.19. Suddenly, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. A great wind. Same phrase we read in verse 37. And a great wind storm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Matthew's gospel tells us that the, sh the ship was covered with the waves. Luke tells us that, that they were filling with water and were in jeopardy or in peril. Gilligan tells us the weather started getting rough and the tiny ship was, was tossed. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that one, but... But here you have the disciples in their own confidence and in their own experience. They might have felt, hey, we got this. No problem. Little storm kicking up here. A few waves, two foot waves, three foot waves. No problem. You know, uh, that, that is why maybe they've waited so long to wake up Jesus. But this storm was unusual, causing even the most experienced fishermen to panic. Why? Because sometimes God takes us into territories that we're quite familiar with comfortable in and then he brings in the waves and he brings in the storms so that any confidence in ourselves is thrown out the window and we're forced to see how weak we are apart from Christ. So often we go through a trial and, and we think, well, it's no big deal. Lord, I, I can handle this one. I'll, we'll get through it. And we don't pray and we don't seek the Lord. And suddenly that two foot wave turns into a 12 foot wave. The small rain shower turns into a Category 5 hurricane, and there's nothing you can do about it. I tell you, you know, being stranded on an island for five days, I mean, part of it, let me tell you, it was wonderful, okay? Don't get me wrong. But other parts of it, you're going, I can't do anything about this. I can't swim back to Missouri. I, you know, I'm stuck here. I can't do anything about this. And sometimes God does that in our lives. He gets us to a place where we can't do anything about it. And he wants to teach us that in our own strength we are helpless without Christ. See, as intense as this storm was, this is all about the Lord teaching his disciples about trust. A lesson they didn't know they needed to learn until God brought them through this. And the lesson they needed to learn was that Jesus has absolute authority and can be trusted to get you through any storm you may face in this life. No matter what you're going through right now or even what you've gone through before, Jesus is going to see you through. Listen, following Jesus is not a guarantee there won't be storms. If anything, there's a guarantee that you're going to have storms. And just like this storm in the Sea of Galilee, storms in our lives can rise up suddenly and without warning. 
Maybe it's a financial storm where you find yourself and you just hit unexpectedly and these bills are coming in. And, and maybe it's a relationship storm between a husband and a wife or son or a daughter and the waves seem to be coming one right after another. Perhaps you're facing this huge storm and it's shaking up your life incredibly. You're so severe that you've lost sight of your destination and just, you're just trying to stay afloat. It's intense. Can I encourage you this morning with this one verse? Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. He didn't say, let us get out into the middle and sink and die. No, he said, let us cross over to the other side. He promises to see you through. Now, he didn't promise an easy trip, but he does promise a guaranteed arrival at our destination. Philippians 1.6, we're told, he who has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So when storms come in our lives, they can be intense. And this one was no exception. Point number two, when storms come, we can be at rest. Why is that? Well, because Jesus is in your boat. You can find rest. It can't sink. If he's in your life, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you're not going to go down. He has promised to perfect that which concerns you, Psalm 138 tells us. Look at verse 37 in the first part of verse 38 here. We read again that a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. I find it's interesting that this is the only place that the word pillow is used in the New Testament, and that's where Jesus is at, on on a pillow there. Now here we have the disciples. You know, they see his peace, and they should have looked to his example and should have rested as well. Even though in the midst of the storm, Jesus is at rest, so should we be. Listen, there is no storm that will stir Jesus to the point of Jesus, you know, pacing back up and forth, all worried and biting his fingernails and, and looking at your life going, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do with Tom. I can't believe he did something like that. He's stuck here. He's, I, I, I'm in this storm. I, I, what are we going to do? Jesus is always at rest. He knows our past. He knows our future. He, he knows what's going on. And he wants us to be at rest. You know, one of the favorite, my favorite phrases in, in all of Scripture is the words, and it came to pass. I love that. You know, storms, they don't last forever. These guys were guys who knew how to navigate rough seas and knew how to use their equipment, and they were experienced fishermen. And what are they doing here? They're panicking. And Jesus is asleep on the boat while the storm is raging all around them. And, and who knows? Maybe John and Peter are talking and, and maybe, you know, John says to Peter, oh, you wake him, Peter. And Peter says, no way. I'm always getting in trouble. I'm always blowing it. <laughs> Andrew, you wake him. Well, I'm not going to wake him. Well, we're going to drown. Okay, let's do it together. Look at verse 38. It says, and they awoke him. <laughs> all right, let's get together. They, they all awoke him. Okay, uh, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now understand, even though the storm or the waves could not wake Jesus, the cry of the disciples woke him. They should have been at rest. But instead, they were stressed out because they simply forgot how much God loved them and how much God cared for them. And listen, I think if we put ourselves in the same boat, we'd be saying the same thing. Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, I'm drowning here in this storm, questioning the Lord. And if you compare the other passages in Matthew and Luke, you find out that's exactly what they were saying. Don't you care that we're drowning? You know, so often when a storm comes, what do we do? We, we think, oh, God doesn't care. God, don't you care that I'm sick? Don't you care that my marriage is hurting? 
Don't you care that I, I can't pay my mortgage? Don't you care that this is happening to me? God, don't you care? God, don't you love me? And it's so easy to question the love of God and the care of God and to feel as though God doesn't care. But again, Peter, the, the guy who was in the boat at this time, counted the storm. He would go on to write First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. This is the same God who we read about in Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18, which says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Psalm 139, 17 and 18. God thinks about you and me more than the numbers of sand that are on, on, on every beach in the world. And listen, I saw a lot of sand this past week. <laughs> A whole lot of sand. And to think that, 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 that God, I mean, you can't count a handful of sand. God thinks about you more than all the, the sand in the world. See, I don't think we can say that God doesn't care. God does care. Now, why, now, yeah, yes, well, why did they feel that Jesus didn't care? Well, obviously because Jesus was sleeping in, in the midst of the storm. And again, sometimes we feel that way, you know, we, we feel that God asleep to the things going on in our lives, that He doesn't care. But nowhere in the Bible, does it say that God doesn't love us and that's why we're suffering? Don't be so foolish to look at your problems and think that because God's not happy with you or that God doesn't care. Look at Job. I mean, God was actually bragging about Job. If anything, pray that God doesn't brag about you, okay? So we need to find rest in the midst of the stress and the storm and just look to Jesus. And I'm sure that the disciples had tried everything possible to get out of the mess they were in. And after exhausting all their efforts, they knew that Jesus was our only hope. Sometimes that's what it takes. We get to the end of our rope to come to the end of ourselves and we cry out to Him and we cry out to Him and He's always ready to answer. Listen, we're not going to offend or hurt God by crying out to Him, telling Him how you actually feel. Even Jesus hanging on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think sometimes we... we, we, we feel as though we have to sanitize all of our prayers. And, oh, Lord, you know the situation I'm in. And, and God, just would you help in this situation? No, God wants to hear you speak from your heart. Lord, this hurts. Lord, I don't understand. Lord, I'm scared. Lord, this is rough on me. He wants honest prayer. And listen to what God says in Psalm 91, 15. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Who's that to? To the guy that pours out his heart to the Lord and cries out to the Lord. Yes, sometimes it does seem as though you pray and pray and God doesn't seem to answer. He does seem to be asleep to our needs. But let me say this. Quite possibly in the midst of our storm and struggles, we pray the plan that we want God to do in order to get us out of the mess that we're in. Don't we do that? Oh Lord, if I could just win the lottery, then I wouldn't be in this financial mess. Lord, how come you're not answering my prayer? It's a great plan. It's a perfect plan. I think it's a plan that will be great. And when God doesn't work the way we think we should work, then we accuse God of not listening. No, it's quite the opposite. God isn't going to give you anything that will be harmful to you, only that will be helpful to you. And He knows, and we've seen it, people winning the lottery, it won't help. I mean, all you look at the people today that have won the lottery and the broken marriages, broken lives, a lot of them are just plain broke. Listen, when we think that God may be asleep to our needs, He's actually got a better plan for us to get us out of the mess that we're in. And we just need to trust Him. 
Jeremiah 29.11, we all know this verse, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The Lord says, the plans that I have for you, they're, they're my plan for you, and they're good plans, and though you may think that your plan is best, the one I have for you is so much better than the plan that you think you have for yourself. Plans of peace, not of evil. Plans for a future. Plans for hope. See, the Lord says, it's not that I'm not listening. I hear and I see everything, but I'm trying to teach you this lesson. What lesson? So you know how much I love you, how much God loves you. And even though we're in the midst of an intense storm, He's at rest and He wants us to be at rest. This brings us to our final point this morning. Number three, when storms come, we need to do our best. Now listen, I don't think it would be a lack of faith and there would have been nothing wrong with the disciples waking Jesus up and saying, Lord, what would you have us to do? What direction do you want us to take? We're unable to make it to the other side. We know that you, your word says that to go to the other side, we got a problem here. You know, Lord, just speak the word to us and we'll do what you've called us to do. That would have been them doing their best in the storm. But that's not what they did. That's not what we do, is it? <laughs> what do we do? Lord, don't you care? We're perishing. You need to wake up, Jesus. Don't you understand? We're all going to die. And the, the, the disciples are freaked out. That is why Jesus here questions their faith. Look at verse 40. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? I love that. They're probably just, like I said, oh, we're going to die. And, and Jesus, why are you fearful? And the storm's going, why are you so afraid? I'm, I'm sure he said that very calmly, you know. You know, we're, we're not really doing our best when storms come upon us and we freak out. God has called us to live a life of faith, not a life of fear. Second Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love of us and of a sound mind. So how do you respond in adversity in the storms of life? Do you get fearful and freak out and start to scream and yell? We find the disciples didn't respond like they should have. That's why Jesus said to them two things in verse 40. Why are you so fearful and how is it that you have no faith? See, the problem we have in the storms of life is that we're not exercising our faith. We lose faith and we become fearful. Because faith and fear are mutually exclusive. If you're trusting in the Lord, you're not going to be afraid. If you're afraid, then you're not trusting in the Lord. In the middle of the storm, they started to panic. They were filled with fear. And I think, isn't that just like you and I? We get this fear, I'm going through this, and, and, and Jesus responds, how is it that you have no faith? And I think he's asking us the same question this morning, why are you fearful? Why, why shouldn't I be, Lord? I, I lost my job, my marriage isn't going so well, I, I have this big problem, my, my car engine just blew up, I'm losing my hair, that's frightening. Uh, ask me, I know, Lord, I should be afraid. There's all sorts of things that we should be afraid of, or, or, or that we can be afraid of, not that we should be afraid of. And Jesus is asking us the same question this morning. Why are you fearful? Well, because my boss wants to see me in the morning and I'm really afraid. You know, a lot of times our fears and concerns are for things that have not even happened yet. Wait till the morning, then get freaked out. Reminds me of a story of a young man that brought his wife into a small town doctor's office. There was an emergency and the nurses escorted the woman to the examination room and the husband anxiously took the seat in the lobby. Well, for the next few moments, he could hear the doctor barking out these unsettling string of orders to his staff. First it was, knife. 
Then there was screwdriver. Then pliers. When he heard sledgehammer, the young man could, could bear the tension no longer. He burst into the examination room and, and shouted, Doctor, what's wrong with my wife? The doctor said, we have no idea. Right now we're still trying to get into the medicine cabinet. See, a lot of times our fears and concerns are for things that, that haven't happened yet and we misunderstand people or, you know, and, and so our fears never develop. And we worry about stuff that hasn't happened and they dissolve. Listen, either the Lord is in control of all or He's not in, the, in control at all. I choose to believe the first. He's in control of all. So why are you afraid? What is your fear this morning? The disciples thought they had a legitimate cause for fear, but the reality is is they simply forgot the promises of God. A woman said to D.L. Moody once, I have found a wonderful promise, and she quoted Psalm 56, verse 3. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Moody responded with, let me give you a better one, and he quoted Isaiah 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Listen, it's fine to say that whenever I'm afraid, I will trust. But it's so much better to say, I will trust and not be afraid. You see, when, when, the, when you forget the promises of God, that brings in rest. But when you remember the promises of God, that brings rest. Again, Jesus said, let us cross to the other side. The promise Jesus gives us in Matthew 28, 20, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The promise Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So what does Jesus do to take away our fears and to increase our faith? Again, we're back on the boat. Jesus does something radical. Look at verse 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now picture this. Waves are crashing all around. The disciples are shouting, Man the ropes, port bow a half degree. The wind is howling. The water's coming into the boat up to their waist. Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? And suddenly, Jesus stands up, rebukes the wind and the seas, and an instant calm, instant peace. Quiet. Still. The ocean looks like a, a sheet of glass. Let me tell you, it was immediate. The wind and the waves bowed in homage to their master. Jesus' ultimate authority and power and control over nature and, and or over the power of Satan and his authority over power power over our fears. Listen, this should totally blow our minds. This story should wow us. We need to be careful that we don't become so familiar with these stories that they no longer wow us. This was a wow moment. The, the, the other gospel says that they marveled so much so that we read in verse 41 here, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this guy? They're just amazed. And you know, when God comes to us in our storms, and we cry out to Him, He brings His power, He brings His peace, and we come to know Him like never before, who He really is. He is the God-man. He is God manifested in the flesh. He is the one who came to save us, the one who came to deliver us, the one who came to help us through the storms in our lives. Now let me say this, the storm raging around you may not go away. But God will calm the storm that's raging inside of you, within you. He will give you His peace. God has not promised to take away all of our troubles, but He has promised that you can experience His peace in the midst of your troubles. Isaiah 26.3 says that God will keep 
him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because they trust in him. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but by everything in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. The peace of God. Peace, be still. Listen, Jesus, or the disciples rather, followed Jesus into the boat when the sun was shining, the sky was blue. But when the storm came, their whole perspective changed. And we need to, to do our best to stay steady in the, in the storm and out of the storm. To trust our God when our faith gets put to the test, that's when it becomes real. Because it's one thing to, to, to learn a new spiritual truth, but something altogether different to practice that truth in everyday life. Satan knows that academic truth is not a threat to him or his kingdom. It's, it's truth that is active, truth that is lived out that's threatening to him, lived out in the life of the believer that's a threat to him. Real faith doesn't just board the boat, but it acts a certain way once inside the boat. Yes, it was great that they woke Jesus up. Where they failed is that they woke him up and panicked in the storm they had lost all faith. Listen, if you want to learn faith, it's only learned from deep inside the hull of the boat in the midst of the storm. George, George Mueller wrote, The only way to end up with strong faith is to endure great trials. Hudson Taylor put it this way, At the timber line where the storms strike with the most fury, the sturdiest trees are found. Again, here's my point. It's only in the boat, in the midst of the storm, that you feel fear, but it's also only in the midst of the storm that you learn faith. Faith is more than just a set of beliefs. It, 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 it's belief with, with muscle. It's truth that I, I can see from the shore, but I'm willing to live out from the belly of the boat being tossed to and fro in the waves. In, in short, it, faith, faith is knowledge that has grown courage. No matter what I go through, I serve a God that loves me and he'll see me through no matter how difficult, no matter how long it takes. And let me say this again. When God comes to us in our storms and we cry out to him, he brings his power and his peace and we come to know him like never before. He, who he really is, he is the God-man manifested in the flesh, the one who came to save us, the one who came to deliver us, the one who came to help, came to help us through our storms. And he has said this to us in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. He will still the storms in your life. He will see you through. You see, the only way to develop into Christ-likeness and in his character is through suffering and through adversity. And if we respond correctly to the storms, they teach us more about God's love and, and, and God's grace like, like never before. We used to sing a song years ago, maybe recall it. I want more of Jesus, more and more and more. I want more of Jesus than I ever had before. I want more of his great love, so rich and full and free. I want more of Jesus, so I'll give him more of me. Well, the only way sometimes to have more of Jesus and to really grow in our knowledge of him is through adversity. It's through the storms and it forces us to seek him. Then we experience more of Jesus, more of his love, more of his grace. As John Bunyan, the man who wrote Pilgrim's Progress from a prison cell in Bedford said, in time of affliction, we most commonly meet with the sweetest experiences of the love of God. And I don't know, I've experienced that. But my, my worst affliction, I just sense how much God loves me and cares for me. Rest in his promises. Remember his presence. He is with us in the boat. Remember the fact that he has promised to us that we will pass safely over to the other side. My prayer is that we as a church, we as individuals, believers, we would grow in Christ-likeness and in faith. 
So as the storms do come to us as individuals, as families, as a part of this church, that we would learn to experience His power, His peace, and come to know His person like never before, and that through the storms, we will be a lighthouse to those who are hurting, pointing people to the only one that can bring peace in their lives, Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, man, you're going to be tossed around in that boat quite a bit. Jesus is there and He wants to save you. He wants to give you rest. He wants to give you peace in your life. But I can tell you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've not had your sin forgiven, I know there's not peace in your life. You can deny it, but I know there's not peace in your life. Jesus wants to give you peace. He wants to forgive you of your sin. And all you need to do is say, God, I surrender. I surrender my life to you. I want, uh, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me of it. And God will forgive you. He'll give you his peace. He'll give you eternity. He promised in heaven that, that when you die, you'll go to heaven. He'll give you peace through the storms as we wait for his return. And so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I encourage you, don't stay in the storm any longer. It's not good for you. You're going to be destroyed. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Let him save you. Let him come into your life and forgive you of your sin. I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the promises that we have, Lord, that you are with us, that you'll never leave us, that you'll never forsake us. Even in the midst of storms that we face in this life, Lord, you are there in our midst. Help us, Lord, to trust in you, to trust in the promises of your word, to keep our eyes focused on you, Lord God, and know that you'll see us through. And Father, I pray now, if there's anyone here this morning, they've never given their life to you, they've never surrendered their heart to you, Jesus but they want to today. They want their sin forgiven. They want to get in the boat where you're at. They want to have that peace in their life, the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray that you'd touch their heart this morning and they would make that commitment to you this morning. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here you want to make this commitment to Jesus Christ this morning? You want your sin forgiven. You want to be born again. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? This is just between you and the Lord Jesus. He wants to come into your life. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants you to be born again, to give you new life. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. Anybody at all. Maybe at one point in your life you've, you were a Christian, you committed your life to Christ, but it's been years that you've not followed Him, you've not been in His Word, and you're struggling. And God's calling you back to Him. If that's your desire, you want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Anybody at all? God bless you. Anybody else? While our heads are bowed and our eyes are still closed, I'm going to just ask all of us to pray this prayer, but especially for the one that has raised her hand. We want to pray together with her a recommitment of our life to Jesus Christ. Let's all pray together. Just repeat after me. Father God, Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and rise again from the grave. I'm sorry that I've walked away from you. Forgive me, God. I recommit my life to you this morning. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, God bless you for recommitting your life to the Lord. Let's all stand and do one more song together.